0: I'm in. If you were 12 years or younger and you would like to, please join me up front. Chloe. What's up, Andrew? Hey, guys. How is everyone this morning? Good. Good. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Raise your hand if you've ever met a famous person. You have? When did you meet a famous person? Yeah, I always, I just, oh, okay, okay. I just <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's cool. You met, you've met someone famous? I'm sorry? R- Rolando Blackman? Okay. Oh, he's a basketball player. Oh, cool. Who? Adoyas Garcia. He played for the Rangers? I should know that. Sorry. I'm sorry. He's definitely famous, though. One more. Yes. No, that's, that's a good one. You're right. Now, let, now, so let's say you've met these famous people that we're talking about, and if you haven't met someone famous, I want you to imagine someone that you would like to meet that's famous, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that all of a sudden you find out that this famous person is going to show up to your house really soon. How would that make you feel? Good. Good? Nervous? You, yes, it would make you feel nervous and good because you would have to get everything ready. Perfect answer. It's like you have my notes. Yes, yes. All right, what You tell me. Yes. Who? Okay, he's famous. <laughs> All right, hang on. Put your hands on just for a second. All right, so this, this person's going to come over to your house. Do you think you should let your room be really messy? No, no. your room shouldn't be messy. Do you think your parents would let the, the kitchen be all dirty with pots and pans everywhere? Yes. They would? Yes. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> well, I didn't say it. <laughs> now, would you, would you want them just to show up randomly or would you want to know when they were coming? They you mean, would want to know when, when they, were right? they were coming, right? Some contrarians here. <laughs> You want them to know when they were coming. Now, what if what I could do is I could tell you when they were coming? Would that be a good thing? Like I'd call you and be like, hey, famous dude or girl quality is on the way, right? That would be a good thing. Now, you would make sure everything was in order, everything was clean, you have on your good shoes, all those different things when they showed up, right? Did you listen to the gospel text when Deacon Carl read it? That's kind of what's happening in the in the beginning of Mark. You can say one thing. This is my son by the way. So we'll we'll see what happens. Hey, being organized and fancy isn't all that important, guys. <laughs> I have to agree. Back to your seats, guys. Was good. I, know. <clears throat> I have a confession. I love this time of year. The weather is finally bearable outside. We decorate with festive colors and lights. We're always thinking about the gifts that our loved ones might like, and we plan elaborate meals and parties. And we do all of this because, for the Christian, the entrance of the eternal God into this world as a human baby is a mystery to celebrate indeed. And listen, I I know I don't need to convince you that this time of year is awesome. I don't need to convince you that this time of year seems full of hope and joy. Those qualities are practically everywhere you look. You can even see them on the first few pages of the gospel. Now, the beginning of each gospel may have a different approach, but all of them have the same feeling of excitement and anticipation. All of them are focused on the message that the Messiah was on his way. So get ready. And you would expect that since the New Testament begins with a sense of joy and hope, the Old Testament would conclude with the same. That would make sense if they were lined up, right? So how about just a little Bible trivia? And if you're a part of the Wednesday Bible study, you be quiet. You don't say anything. (laughs) Without looking in your Bibles, if you had to guess, what are the last two words in the book of Malachi? What two words conclude the Old Testament? If you had to guess, I want you to think about it. Okay. No ex-priests can answer either. (laughs) Considering that the New Testament begins with such Optimism. you would think that the last two words of the Old Testament would be something like with hope or great joy. Maybe you would guess that the Old Testament ended with something like coming king or Messiah's arrival. And if you guessed something like that, I totally get it. I would have guessed the same. But if you guessed those things, you're totally wrong. The ESV translation has the last two words which foreshadow the Messiah's arrival as the words Utter destruction. Tis the season, right? (laughs) Other translations render it to strike the land with a curse. I don't know about you, but I didn't see that coming. Why in the world does the Old Testament end like that? Why does the Old Testament end with such a shocking statement, yet the New Testament seems to begin with such shocking hope? Well, let me read you the last two verses of the Old Testament. I think we can begin to see what's happening. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It reads this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The Hebrew word that is translated as utter destruction is the Hebrew word harem. I hope I'm saying that right. I made an F in Hebrew, and there's a chance that I'm not. But I'm going to go with harem, okay? Whenever a thing or a place or a people were to be fully dedicated to destruction, this is the word they would use. Harem is used over and over in the book of Joshua, for instance. meant for the people of Canaan. They were devoted to destruction. Harem is used when God intends to judge with fire. And if the people were unprepared when the Lord showed up, Harem is what they would receive. But before utter destruction can occur, Malachi foresees the coming of one like the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is sent to the people before the great and awesome day of the Lord arrives. The mission of this prophet will be to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, so that when the Lord arrives, the people will be prepared. Because... If they listen to Elijah, they need not face utter destruction. They need not face harem. So, who is the prophet foretold by Malachi? Who is it that will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers? Well, do you remember at the very beginning of Luke's gospel when the angel appears to Zechariah and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son? Do you remember that scene in the Bible? Remember that the angel said to to Zechariah that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. That this baby, he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That he would go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. That this baby in Elizabeth's room would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Guys, it may seem like the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament don't quite line up. But the Old Testament ends with the prophecy about the coming of one like Elijah who would prepare the way, who would prepare the people for the Lord's arrival. And then the Gospel of Mark begins with that prophecy fulfilled as John the Baptist calls Israel to prepare to repent and be baptized. Before the Messiah began his public work, there needed to be a forerunner. There needed to be one who prepared his way. There needed to be one who would make sure that everything was in place. Everything was nice and clean for the arrival of the Messiah. But John wasn't preparing the way by taking care of things. The preparation for the Messiah's arrival wasn't about cleaning the outside of your stuff. It wasn't about wearing nice garments. John is literally wearing camel skin, so apparently the Messiah doesn't care all that much about your shirt. John isn't concerned about whether or not the people are dressed nice. He isn't concerned that they appear respectable. John's main concern isn't that the people appear clean, but that they are clean. In the the fourth verse, Mark says... John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see, John understood something about the Messiah that many today fail to see. John the Baptist understood that when Jesus burst onto the scene, he would draw a line straight through the world. On one side of that line would be his kingdom, and on the other would be the kingdoms of this world. And with His arrival, there would be no third option. The Messiah had come to establish His kingdom on this earth, and anyone who was repentant, anyone who had their hearts turned back to their Father, would be forgiven and restored. But for those who entrenched themselves in sin, for those who swore allegiance to the kingdoms of darkness, for those who refused to repent and receive the forgiveness that Christ offered, destruction was in their future. And listen, I know how weird that sounds for me to say right now. I realize that destruction is in their future probably isn't in one of your favorite Christmas carols. And believe me, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic when I say things like that. I'm not trying to sound like some Bible-thumping weirdo that says Jesus with four syllables. You've heard that guy, right? Jesus! I'm I'm not trying to do that thing. But guys, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Jesus did not come into this world to redecorate it. Jesus did not come into this world to do some minor alterations. The Messiah did not come into this world in order to negotiate with the kingdoms of this world. Jesus came to make all things new. He came to reclaim everything that belongs to him. He came to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. That's what he came to do. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that this time of year. Because whatever else Christmas is, Christmas is day one of the Messiah's offensive. An offensive that is aimed at reclaiming everything that was corrupted in the fall, aimed at redeeming everything corrupted in you. And just as John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of Jesus, just as John the Baptist called Israel to repent and make themselves ready to receive Christ, So too is this time of Advent for us. Advent is a season of hope and joy and laughter and fun. This is a season where we look forward to celebrating the goodness which broke into this world some 2,000 years ago. Yes. But this is also a season where we redouble our efforts and take inventory of our lives. As we prepare for Christmas, we have some important questions to ask ourselves. This Advent, let's ask, are we ready to meet the King? Are we ready to receive an inspection from the King of the whole universe? Are we ready to welcome the King into our homes for Him to be seated at our tables and for Him to inspect our very hearts? Because if we find ourselves unready for the coming of the Lord this Advent, I have tremendous news for you. The Lord is calling the whole world to repentance. The Lord is calling you to come to him, to stop this life of rebellion, to lay down your arms, to repent and be made ready for the coming of the king.